Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The Chiefs have had a more impressive path to the Super Bowl than the San Francisco 49ers, with Kansas City winning twice on the road. Their most recent common opponent is the Baltimore Ravens. The Chiefs beat them in the AFC Championship game last week. The 49ers lost to them at home late in the regular season. So why are the Chiefs underdogs in Super Bowl 58? Beat writer Jesse Newell and columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell explain on today's show. We also discuss some of the Chiefs' heroes of the postseason, some you'd expect, and some surprises. Okay, let's get started. Super Bowl 58 is almost upon us, and I wanted to start by asking a simple question. Why are the San Francisco 49ers a two-point favorite? over the Kansas City Chiefs in this game, considering the paths that these teams have taken in in the postseason and with San Francisco trailing in both games by double digits and the Chiefs looking so impressive in the victories over Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore. I'm a little bit miffed at why the Chiefs are an underdog in this game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just because it's the large sample size. I mean, it's the full season of the 49ers. They were better than the Chiefs over the regular season. And the markets tend to look at as much information as possible. When you look at as much as information as possible, the 49ers have been the better team for most of the year. It's not been the case over the past, you know, three three weeks. Um, and generally, I, I agree with the markets reasoning on things. I mean, they they know better than we do. I do think the Chiefs are a little bit of an exception because of the stuff that we've talked about on this podcast for the last month, which is the adjustments the Chiefs have made on offense are real. They're not one-game tendency things because um, they required an internal look at themselves, and that's why their production has been different offensively. I don't think it's because they they had a good day or they played a bad team. Um, I mean, three of their best uh, offensive outings of the season have been three of their last four. Um, with Patrick Mahomes, obviously he didn't play in Week 18, so I it's a I, I would imagine that the odds makers had a little bit of a tough time with this line for that reason. The Chiefs going on the road, looking pretty good when they did it against two really good teams. Um, I, mean, I think the Ravens are probably the only team I thought was better than the 49ers going into these playoffs. I don't think any of us ever really thought that game was in doubt. So. Can totally understand the question, but um, yeah, I think it's just odds makers looking at looking at the full picture. I have kind of an odds makers question that both you guys, Jesse and Sam, can speak to far better than I understand. What, at what point would odds the data they take in have anything to do with the fact that a, a guy is fourteen and three um, in the playoffs, like Patrick Mahomes is, and less just Patrick than the kind of emotional equilibrium you might expect out of the Chiefs coming into this game. Does that matter? Is yeah, that I, think, I, think, I think that's already in, baked into That's what I was going to say. I, I think it Ravens, has been. The Ravens, yeah. you looked at professional gamblers said that line should have been six points last week. You know, mm-hmm. that's why it got pushed from three and a half up to five because they were looking at the teams and said this line should be closer to six. And I'm sure those same odds makers are looking at the same full body of work and thinking this should be more about three or maybe even three and a half. And, you know, I think a guy like Patrick Mahomes is why it's sitting at one and a half right now. It's an interesting thing, too. One last thought is just this, like that the most from as as at least as I look at it, we've talked about this in other times. Um, the What seems like the most pertinent bodies of work right now are about the last month and about the last five years, as opposed to just the full length of the season. 
I don't, I don't know if you agree with that, but it, it, that's what strikes me the most. Those are the two things that are the biggest indicators about where the Chiefs are. I just think you got to look at this in, I think Sam said it did well. You get, did you get a haircut? <laughs> this is great radio for the people out there listening. It's great radio, Sam. I appreciate you interrupting me so that everybody can think about my haircut that they're not going to be able to see. Looks good. Uh, I think. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Um, I'm getting one today. <laughs> Again, great radio for everyone out there. And I, and I need one and I'm not getting one. Okay. All right. um, I don't even know what I was going to say anymore. So I talked to Aaron Schatz, who is runs DVOA, uh, has done this forever. And, you know, he... I have a story up today about how this is going to be the toughest path of all time if the Chiefs make it through because of the opponents they've played. But to your point, and to all your points... And that goes beyond seeding. It goes... It goes beyond the, just the fact that they would play two and one and one. Yeah, and then this is like... His numbers had the Ravens historically good or historically high going this part of the season. It's so funny because in his rankings, his DVOA, which looks at every play and ranks you based off of that schedule adjusted, the Chiefs are, are fifth... And they're going to face four of the top six DVOA teams. So it's like the toughest possible path you could have other than playing the Cowboys. And you can't play the Cowboys if you're the Chiefs because you're in the AFC. But my main point is this. He, he did an article for ESPN this week about the best Super Bowl teams of all time. So you look historically, according to his numbers, who were the most dominant for the regular season and the postseason? Okay, And I think this is what we're talking about here, which is if the 49ers win this game, they're going to rank somewhere around 13th on that list of all time. Like, this was a really good team in the regular season. They were dominant. They had a good offense. Their offense ranks number one in DVOA. Their defense is good. If the Chiefs win, they're going to rank about 50th on this list. Okay? So that's what that's sort of what we're talking about here is that, listen, what the Chiefs have turned on here, um, three of Patrick Mahomes' five best performances of the season have been these last three games. And uh, I, I do also want to mention out there, like, we could have had this conversation a few years back when the Chiefs played the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Why are the Chiefs only favored by three? What's going on here? And then, obviously, we know how that game turned out. So, we reality is reality, and what happened is what happened. And the Chiefs getting out to a big lead against the Ravens obviously benefited them because the Ravens had to get out of their game and they had to pass the ball. But I think part of this goes back to just uncertainty. Uncertainty about what will happen and potentially uh, us not maybe not um, giving ourselves too much credit for knowing exactly what's going to happen. There were some things that uh, were outside the Chiefs' control that went their way in that game, and they took advantage of it, but it doesn't necessarily mean the next game is going to swing toward them. And again, those are the margins where I think the Chiefs only being two-point underdogs, where you'd say they'd be the 50th best Super Bowl champion compared to the 13th. That means Patrick Mahomes and Steve Spagnuolo and all these things we think about their postseason success is doing a lot of work to get that line down to two. What? What did you say San Francisco was this year, DVOA? Number one in offense. They're number two overall. Number two overall. I would think that a team that finished with a 12-5 and regular season record, which was one game better than the Chiefs, that on the day that the Chiefs had their worst game of the season, the Christmas Day outing against the, the Raiders at home, the, the 49ers were awful, equally awful at home against the Baltimore Ravens, a team that the Chiefs just beat in Baltimore – uh, I, those are the things I think about when trying to come up with some balance for um, you know th- this game. So I, I, I guess I I think the Chiefs are a pretty good bet. Is what I guess what I'm trying to say. And yeah, I wonder I mean, if I, other people are going to think that too as this week goes on. Yeah, I mean I remember last week you know thinking about these professionals that were watching the line move from four and a half to six. And, you know, I, I said this on the unrecorded podcast. <laughs> imagine like going to the window and 
and feeling like the sucker because you're betting on Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Vahe mentioned his record. <laughs> right. Like he's ridiculous as an underdog. And um, we are recording this right after talking to Andy and Patrick. And I asked them both about being the underdog because I think what we've seen is this team has embraced a role that we were all interested to see what they what they'd be like in this role because they'd never been in this role right. before. And Nick Bolton said something really interesting to me in the locker room after the game. He said. Um, we haven't been the underdog as a team, but this team is filled with a bunch of individuals who have. So Patrick Mahomes was not heavily recruited out of college in football. You know, Texas wanted to play safety. Um, Travis Kelsey ends up going to Cincinnati. At that point, not a power five school. Nick Bolton's only got, you know, really one SEC team that wanted that thought he could play SEC football. And he's at Texas. He's at a school where gets all kinds of college coaches out there. Um, so like these, a lot of the, this team star players is, you know, I hadn't thought about it until he, he put that in, in front of me that this team is filled with guys that have individually played in that role before, or even if collectively as a team, this organization has not. One, one quick addition to that is something that we have talked about a little bit, Sam, is it's different, but I think uh, um, sort of fuses together with it. A lot of these guys have been through stuff in their lives too. I mean, they, they think of themselves as individuals of adversity, a number of them do. So the combination of being, you know, individually maybe uh, underrated and having had individual struggles, um, you know, we know a lot of them, right? A lot of that rookie class last year um, uh, had dealt with personal loss. I think all that goes together in some way. You know, I, I think about, players, athletes I've known that I thought had a bit of a sense of entitlement. Um, and that was part of their personality. But when you think about the Chiefs who never get to draft, you know, in the top, you know, top five, right? they're always drafting toward the end. And and if, you know, sometimes traded out of the first round, they don't have one ones on their team, do they? They don't have um, players who, uh, you know, have been t- told how great they were coming into the NFL as the overall top draft pick. Or, yeah, it'd be interesting to think about. Obviously, Mahomes is a top 10 pick, barely. Um, but I, I don't, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone else on this team. We know it was a thing for Brett Beach for a while to trade for former first-round picks that hadn't paid right. out with, with on their rookie deals. But um, I don't know if they had anyone. I mean, I, you're they, making me think of this. They team. traded up for McDuffie at, what, 20, 22 or 21? Right? Um, so I don't know. I, they might just have one top 20 pick on the entire team. And I'm, yeah. I'm guessing – most NFL rosters have, have more than one one guy yeah. who's on their team. Somebody, you know, above a top 10 to begin with, right? And that's not what they have. And then a couple guys in the teams. But they, they don't have that that I can think of. We're probably forgetting somebody. But but I I, I can't think of anybody at all that would be above Patrick well, think in about the pecking order. I know we talked about Blaine Gabbert was a 10th pick. That's right. Yeah, yeah. All things. Yeah, yeah, you got to think about some free agents Blame. and guys yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. where you have creative. to go because we know where the drafted players. Legere yeah. Sneed's a fourth round yeah. guy. Yeah. And, um, but I remember talking about this when Tyreek Hill was on the team, fifth round player. We know why he was why he fell there, and Kelsey in the fourth. I believe a fourth, third or fourth round player, and um, and and even the Chiefs were brilliant to trade up for Mahomes, but he went into that draft. As a, maybe a late first round pick, and yeah. the Chiefs saw what you know, along with a couple other teams, but yeah. especially the Chiefs saw what they did. But uh, Chris Jones, second round pick, yeah. and and really felt that he was undervalued in yeah. the draft. So I, I don't know how long that's that carries with a player. Um, maybe it always does, right? But it depends on the player, but I definitely yeah. think with some players it does. I mean, I. 
I learned a lot about some of this just talking to these guys last week for a completely different story, just about where they were when right. this Chiefs AC championship streak started. Um, and, you know, I asked Rashi Rice and I said, were you thinking about the NFL six years ago? You know, he was in high school at the time. And he said, I wouldn't even think about the NFL to my junior year of college. It was the first time he thought I could play in the NFL. Right. Um, you know, it goes to SMU. Obviously, he's not a highly recruited player either. So it is part of what you said, Blair. I mean, the fact that you drafted the back end of the rounds, like your team is going to be comprised of guys who are not these really, really highly touted players coming out. And it's it's odd that they fit into a culture that is really, really used to winning games all the time. And um it's just it's an interesting it's an interesting mix, especially for a team that's just now as a team embracing that role for the first time. It really is. And all the things we're saying, I, I'm really struck by how they're sort of there's a certain nucleus to all of it that comes together, right? It, lack of entitlement, hunger, you know, overlooked, dealt with hard times. I mean, I think there's ways you can you can see that that sort of replenishes the culture that they have. And of course, we're, the Chiefs are playing against a team whose quarterback is the ultimate disrespected player. Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Uh, Patrick felt disrespected at being drafted 10th, 10th overall. The countdown for the Bears. And, and here's Brock Purdy. He couldn't even count that high. That's, really, that's a great point, though. Anyway, I find it interesting and, uh, when, we, when you just think about the the culture here and the mojo that we talk about where some of it might originate and maybe some of it is there just coming into the league with something to prove made a little bit of chip on their shoulders and well especially when the guy that is the face of this team <laughs> can find ways to keep regenerating that thought within himself right like somehow or another you know he creates i don't know if it's outrage he creates or whatever it is but he definitely has the ability to harness the slightest thing into some form of I've got to prove myself again. Here I am. I got to prove myself again. That whole we've joked about it among ourselves, but that whole bit in Buffalo where you know he's the post game celebration where he's like they wanted this, you know, and, and you know calling out Buffalo for daring to hope to have a home game against the Chiefs and and you know the audacity of, of the Bills. So it just it, it does speak a little bit to how he can manufacture is too strong, but how he can process things to continue fueling himself. I thought it was interesting today, as, as you mentioned, we, we heard from Patrick Mahomes and, uh, and Andy Reid, also Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil today, um, how difficult it was for Mahomes to watch the 2021 AFC Championship game, the only one he hasn't participated in, or the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, the Super Bowl, he, because they lost the championship game, the only Super Bowl he hasn't, he will not have participated in in the last five years, and it just bothered him. You know, there were an overtime loss from being in five straight Super Bowls, and it was all he could do to to watch. He couldn't watch it with anybody anybody else. It was he and Brittany who watched it together, and he said he had to walk away from it a few times. He was so tipped off about it. Yeah, I think that's been a defining quality for him. Oddly, I spoke to one of his friends earlier today that had mentioned that they had a Super Bowl party and wanted Patrick to come and kind of thought he would, um, and he just – couldn't we heard today from his perspective he, he couldn't stand to, to stomach the thought of like having a party while watching that game I mean I, I think absolutely one of his defining qualities in life is just how he responds to losing um and 
that's really one of the few examples I think where he's just been trying to get away from it altogether. Although it's, he even said today he, he enjoys the game too much to where he had to watch it. Still, he still couldn't get himself just to completely turn off the TV altogether. He, the way he spoke about it was almost like someone in mourning. I mean, he, he phrased it, you know, that was tough. That was, and we're talking about like the one year in the last five, he didn't get to a Super Bowl. And it was like this guy still suffering through the through that being dignity. <laughs> but again, I, I think it's it speaks to him as you know, for lack of a better term, the ultimate competitor. I mean, that's just how he is. It's it's interesting that you know he suffered through college without you know winning a lot of games. I don't know how he how he made it. <laughs> yeah, I like he had to go play in the Pro Bowl that year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the humanity. <laughs> Uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna have plenty to say about the matchup uh, with the 49ers next week i want to take a look back though at the ravens game and just look at two or three moments from that game that defined it and helps explain what what's going on with the chiefs right now and we'll take them in chronological order the the touchdown pass to travis kelsey let's start with that how how brilliant that play was, and um, and maybe it's maybe we take it for granted a little bit, having watched this team for in Mahomes throughout his career. But going looking at that play it, over and over again, who else makes that play? Who who else completes that? Throws the pass pass where Mahomes threw it, and to catch it, the you know as as Kelsey did in such a difficult position. Um, the, it wasn't his first reception of the game because he had the great catch on the fourth and two to get him down there. But one of his nine receptions in the first half, he was already over 100 yards. I thought it was the best half that Travis Kelsey's played as a chief. It happened to be in, on the road in the AFC title game. And finishing with 11 receptions for 11 targets, the, the, the most catches in which he caught every one of them in his career. So what, what anything strike you about the touchdown pass that um, – uh, that we haven't covered. Just, yeah, so go, ahead. go ahead, go see. Well, it's just it's not a pass he usually makes. He doesn't usually like to throw in traffic, and he's willing to throw in traffic. Um, but to me, I mean, it, it's more to the other guy you mentioned in there, which is Travis Kelsey. I mean, Kelsey's looked like a different player since he set out the, the finale. You know, I looked up um, for a column I wrote today, the stats in his, his last three games that, that he had before he set out, Three games combined, 13 catches, 88 yards, no touchdowns. Since sitting out the game in L.A. and having a week off, he's had 23 catches, 262 yards, and three touchdowns. Same same time frame. Time frame. And, you know, it's obviously what's notable about why we're all sitting up here at Arrowhead this week is the Chiefs have a week off. I mean, I mean to look at that play, go back and watch the first play of the Super Bowl, or the first touchdown of the Super Bowl last year. Yes, the Eagles, the same play. Um, talk, the, the ball's thrown differently. We yeah. talked about and, and the guy defends it differently. So we talked to Patrick Mahomes in training camp about this, and I asked him, "What was your favorite throw of the Super Bowl?" And he says that one. Uh, he says the play he loves. They have confidence in. I think you're starting to get a pattern of this with the Chiefs, which is their coaches trust their players. Say, "What do you feel confident?" in? And then they call those plays because there's so much of this that's just mental. Like if Patrick Mahomes believes this play is going to work, it's going to work. To your point, Sam, you're exactly right. Um, Kelsey gives a little bit more sauce in the Eagles game, able to open himself up more because he takes two steps to break outside and then does the up uh, on the route. And the corner breaks to the outside, and then he's beat up top. 
So Patrick Mahomes turns and kind of lobs it to the end zone, gets Kelsey open. This one, I mean, it's such high-level quarterback play. If you go back and watch the film, Mahomes' eyes have to be in the middle of the field because he has to hold that middle safety in the middle so that he cannot bug Travis Kelsey on this throw. So he's looking middle, looking middle, looking middle, snaps his head to look at Kelsey. He's going to Kelsey the whole time. But in that moment, he sees, as Sam's talking about, that cornerback is in phase with Travis Kelsey. There's no separation there. So Patrick Mahomes throws it the only place that he can throw it so that Travis Kelsey can catch it on the back shoulder and all, does all that in like three-tenths of a second, or not three-tenths, three-quarters of a second. Okay, like boom, boom, does all that, makes the perfect throw. I saw Zebra Technologies had that completion percentage, expecting completion percentage was like 26% <laughs> on that play. Uh, the but lowest, it, lowest of the weekend. The lowest of the weekend was that particular okay. catch. And um, it goes back to your point about the spread, Blair. I mean, if Patrick Mahomes is going to make plays like that, the Chiefs should be the favorites. You know what I mean? Like, this is an unguardable play with Kyle Hamilton on his hip, who had given up no touchdowns all year. Who's an, an all-pro. Who's an all-pro, and good offense beats good defense. It does not matter. It does not matter if you guard him like that, if Patrick Mahomes makes that throw, and Travis Kelsey makes that catch. And that's the type of plays we're now seeing from the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the, the you mentioned, Blair, earlier that Kelsey had caught all 11 of his targets. Um Next gen stats had us had a stat on that as well, where his his chances of catching 0.6%. all eleven targets were one in one fifty six, based on the difficulty of those eleven plays. And I, I mean, he made three of the best catches we've seen him have. Yes, yeah. and yes. I definitely think whichever one you rank third, I still think his diving catch is the best play. The best play because as as we learned this weekend, and what we all knew, we, we don't see that. We really don't yeah. see him laying we, out we for a ball like don't. that. Um, so you had that one. The fourth down play, I think, is really underrated. It's over pretty, his head. It's over right. his head, and he's on the root, on the run. It's pretty clear that that's not Mahomes' first read on that play, so he's, he's got to look back to him. And then the one that, that we're analyzing now, um, I mean, whichever one you rank third out of that, mm. I think is the best like third catch he's had in a game, mm. perhaps of his entire career. Yeah. And the fact he's doing it at a year where all of us have been saying he's lost a step. This year, there's no doubt over the back half of the season he had lost a step, and we're, we've just seen a different version of him. That's why I keep going back to the fact he set out in Week 18. What do you think the meaning overall in the big picture with him is of some remarks Patrick said today, made today about the fact that they actually had to try to get him out of games because he was dragging so much between injury and who knows maybe he, age he too. Practice as well. Yeah. yeah, and practice too. Yeah, good point. But I mean, obviously, he's the point Patrick's making is. Travis's zeal to play. But on the other hand, I mean, what are we to take away from what this says about Travis's general health and ability to, you know, continue after this year? Does it say anything or is it just, you know, he got hurt early and had to deal with it? I think the Chiefs need some load management is what I think. Yeah. They need to go NBA style because, I mean, my God, if they knew that this Travis Kelsey was still available, they just yeah. sat him a lot earlier in one of those games. Just take pick a game and say, hey, buddy. You're just sitting out this week. We're going to get yeah. you better for, for later on. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly what that says. I mean, I think it speaks to Travis Kelsey, and this is what we see a lot in sports. I mean, by your part of it is like even if you're not 100%, you want to give what you have for your teammates, whether that's 70, whether that's 80, whether that's 85, whether it's 65. And um, I think over time we've learned that about Travis Kelsey. Like he is a team-focused goal-focused player when it comes to those sorts of things. So he probably was just doing his best to give what he could. It's just it 
wasn't necessarily helping the team like it's helping the team right now and, and definitely was not the level that would have got them to the Super Bowl like it has. You're making me think of this. I think intellectually we all understand that, that he is a team guy, but I think it's sometimes easy to get distracted from that because he's pretty flamboyant and, you know, can, you know he's so upset after a game he won't typically talk to us and it makes you kind of wonder about his mindset in relation to the team. But we hear over and over again how he's kind of the battery of this and um, even, even Patrick, you know, I think had in some ways, I don't know if he's deferential to Travis, but I think Patrick very much feels that Travis is a big part of the engine. Um, I just don't know if we, I, I guess I'll speak for myself. I, I don't know if I fully appreciate how much he's part of that heart of this, this team, just because I think I get distracted by Patrick and some of, some of Travis's theatrics. Well, I remember talking to, uh, to Butch Jones last year and about his time in Cincinnati. And he said that he had a military uh, group of military personnel come in and evaluate his team. And they told him after their evaluation, I think they're there for like three days. They said, well, number 18 is the leader on your team. And Butch Jones said, no way. There has to be some sort of Exactly. I think that was probably his exact reaction is, well, that, that can't be that guy. And he said, you know, I can't remember the, the time frame that had passed where he was like, holy crap, holy cow, they're right. And um, he used to say that the rep, Butch Jones also told me that the refs would come over to him before a game and say, hey, the other the other coach is, is saying, you know, you got to watch 18. Eight, 18 is 18's too energetic at the line and he plays to the echo of the whistle. And, and he said, oh, I already knew we had an advantage on the other team because they were so concerned. Mm-hmm. He was already in their head before the game mm-hmm. started. Mm-hmm. Well, Kelsey certainly has been at his best in the postseason, and so has Mahomes. And I think this has probably been true without giving it a lot of thought over the last, you know, four or five seasons that the best players are at their best this time of year. And another one of those players is Legereus Sneed. And Jesse, you said great offense beats great defense, and I, I agree with that. But Legereus Sneed made one of the top plays of the year for the Chiefs against the Ravens um, when he. Uh, basically punched the ball out of Zay Jones' hands as he was going into the end zone. And uh, Trent McDuffie fell on it in the end zone for, uh, for a fumble recovery. So instead of it being a 17-14 to 14 game at the time, the Chiefs maintained a 10-point lead, and, uh, and it stayed that way. Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, Baltimore got a field goal, made it 17-10. to 10. But anyway, I thought, I thought if the game had a, the, a biggest play, it was that one. And, uh, and Legereus Sneed was uh i don't know just that was that's a play i think that defines him and if you're going to show if the if the nfl is going to do their top 100 countdown for for next year and sneed is in it and he better be that's the play they'll show yeah it's a great point i mean you also pointed out that like the chiefs didn't score off of any of their three turnovers right but they prevented seven. Legere Sneed prevented seven points. And that was a defensive game where the game in the second half in particular became more about prevention of scoring than it did scoring itself. I think that play also sort of is highlighted because of the other plays that he makes. Um, when that deep pass goes to Zay Flowers, there's no guarantee that Legere Sneed mm-hmm. is going to tackle him there. Right. And he does. And then Zay Flowers taunts. And then they give him back 15 yards. The Chiefs need every one of those yards. I mean, the Chiefs were beat on that play. And I thought I liked Andy's line um, last week about the uh, 
Maybe it was earlier this week about the turnovers, and you need two to tango. Yeah, Dan, <laughs> you know what you, I mean. You need a dance partner. You need a dance partner yeah, with yeah. turnovers, and I agree with that. Yeah. And and let's be clear here: like Zay Flowers need to fall down at the one and let Lamar Jackson or Gus Edwards, whoever, run the ball in, just like the week before. McCollum needed to fall down at the one and let Isaiah Pacheco get the touchdown. But the Chiefs found a dance partner, and they took advantage of it, and that's because of the hustle of Jerry Steen. But I just, I'm so impressed by the Chiefs. They gave up some big plays last week, which was kind of uncharacteristic, but they always seem to make the tackle, and they always seem to make the other team snap it again. And there really is something to that. I mean, Drew Tranquil talked about it today. Go back on film, guys. Uh, the catch that Lamar Jackson makes on his own pass, there's nobody back. There's nobody in the final 60 yards of the field. The Chiefs blitzed everybody. And when Lamar Jackson catches it, Drew Tranquil's a step and a half behind one of the fastest players in the NFL, at least, at least the fastest quarterback, you would think. And he catches him and he gets him on an ankle tackle. And that just to me has been the Chiefs defense this year. They continually make you snap it again. And at the end of it, they play with physicality too. And we saw it from LeJarrius Sneed. And uh, he found a dance partner at a really, really important time. So I just said that, uh, you know, the best players have to be at their best in, in games like this. But the, the next level player for the Chiefs were, was, or had some great moments. And I'm thinking of Deion Bush's. Interception in the end zone. Deion Bush played three snaps in the game and got a big inter- uh, uh, interception in the end zone. And the, the Drew Tranquil play that you just mentioned, uh, his uh, his importance to the game magnified by Willie Gay not playing uh, against the Ravens. And then the final big play for the Chiefs, the, the 32-yard completion from Mahomes to Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, um, just, you know, if it hadn't worked, I don't, you know, it would have, uh, um, the Chiefs would have punted, right? Um, it was third down when they completed that pass. If, if it hadn't worked, Ravens would have had the ball with a chance to tie or even go ahead. I thought, in fact, if the Ravens had scored, then they would have gone for two and tried to win at the end after being outplayed all game. But just a, I don't know, a courageous play, I think, to, to throw it. Maybe the deepest pass he attempted in the game. I, I just want to complete it. He, he threw another one that was kind of a throwaway to uh, Rashi Rice on a yeah, early. Yeah, that's right. You're right. That, that, now I remember it. But uh, um, and good for MVS to to be the target on that play. Absolutely. Yeah. Think about this. I mean, you, you just you could you could apply it to Drew Tranquil as well, I guess. But 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 really more to the point about. Deion Bush, three plays. Marquez, I think, had two targets. Maybe he had more, but I think it was two, two targets. Two, two for 62 receiving. And you're talking about those. You, you don't have to make 10 plays to, to be a force in the game. and You just have to be there for that moment. Maybe foreshadowing here, guys. Deion Bush had 30 defensive snaps all year and got an interception. I feel for poor Trent McDuffie. The guy's on his <laughs> second year in the league and still wait. He's got to be looking at Deion Bush like, really, dude? Like, come on. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like, 30 snaps and you get in there and you do this? I will say on that play, uh, me and Brett Tavo, we you know do the details video every week. Um, I was going over that play with him. He doesn't have any idea what Deion was doing on that play. Um, usually, <laughs> usually you kind of split your two safeties and they're kind of responsible, you know, obviously for their half of the field. And for whatever reason, like Dion gives pays no attention to the outside of the field. Like he is pinched in from the snap. So uh, that might be one of those stories here next week when we get all these guys out there and available. Uh, sort of curious that like what Dion was thinking, why he just sort of ignored 
part of his what should have been his responsibility on there. But again, he was in the perfect spot. And for whatever reason, Lamar Jackson decided to throw it up into triple coverage. But it was triple coverage because Deion Bush was shaded so far toward the middle of the field. And that's where the ball went. And that's where he got it. And I don't know, maybe maybe he needs to send some tips to McDuffie. But if, hey, listen, you know, NFL script writers, I'm just letting you know out there. <laughs> Trent McDuffie interception. This is the game for it. This yep. is the this this is the full circle moment. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it is funny though about this. With as great as this defense has been, and really pretty great, doesn't get interceptions. I mean, it doesn't really get takeaways. But it, it was it was eight interceptions in the whole regular season. Was it that? Is that yeah. what it was? I know there were and, minus eleven and, in, in turnover overall. Ratio. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea of a guy getting three snaps, thirty on the season, and having one of them um, is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, but the thing is, they are so often so velcroed to the guys they're covering. That that's the way they they make make the big time plays, right? I mean, that's uh, sometimes with penalties, as Steve Spagnuolo pointed out earlier in the year, as the the price of doing business. But they they're preventing the big play. It'd be great to convert it the other way more, but I think you start with that and take that. When we talk about motivation. I mean, this this defense got beat up in last year's Super Bowl, and it's had a great season, but. You know, Trent McDuffie was beat badly on a on a touchdown by AJ Brown. The Jerry Sneed was beaten badly by Devontae Smith down the sideline. Like these are some guys that have had literal all pro years or all pro caliber years in the case of Legarius, and um, they're gonna get a second chance at, you know, a game that they played pretty poorly in a year ago. Gave up thirty five in a low possession game. Yeah. I mean, they did get the scoop and score from Nick Bolton, so you can't take that off the board for them, but you're absolutely right. And and it's hard for us to sort of um, this is going to be what it is with the Chiefs now. Like, okay, that which Super Bowl was that? What, but, but I mean, it is going to be interesting to how this is remembered because to remember that defense, I mean, that defense was dragged along by the offense last year, and that is no longer what this Chiefs team is about. Well, I think, you know, even Nick Bolton, who had that play, I don't know if he spoke about it today because I had to go to something else, but he, uh, in I camp. I asked him about it, yeah. Did you, yeah, in camp he was talking about that, the, not redemptive exactly, but that the defense – that wasn't good enough what they did in the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, so he mentioned even today that he said it should have been a top 10 defense. And when somebody asked him, I think it was Todd Levo, when, when did you know about this defense? He said, well, I said in training camp that our floor was to be a top 10 defense. But the interesting thing that he said, actually, when I asked him about that play, he said those games are meant for unsung heroes. And we Ooh. just talked about Deion Bush Ooh. getting the interception. And Ooh. that really is what these big games are. But um, to Jesse's point on the defense, like, in order to be remembered as the the true season it had, which is what we think is the best defense in Andy Reid's coaching tenure, they've got to perform in, in this game. I agree. Sure. I, I agree. Defense has to meet the moment. Yeah, yeah so, it does. Uh, great conversation, as always, guys. Uh, the second time around, <laughs> inside joke. I don't think we've ever dedicated a podcast, but we're dedicating today's to Sister Annie. Sister Annie, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll have more for you and everybody else next week from Las Vegas. That will do it for today's episode. Thanks to producer Monty Davis and to our Sportsbeat Casey staff of Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Scott Chasen. Tip of the cap to columnists Sam McDowell and Vahe Gregorian, along with beat writer Jesse Newell for sharing their insights. Super Bowl 58, we have got you covered. The print editions of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, and the nation's top digital sports page called Morning Sports Edition. You will not find better coverage. Follow the Chiefs' bid for a second straight Super Bowl victory with us. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week from Las Vegas with more episodes of Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in and around Kansas City. Thank you.